Welcome back to another episode of the Tourism Geographies podcast. We hope that you've been keeping well since the last episode. And looking forward to learning more about the cutting-edge research in tourism and geographies published in the journal Tourism Geographies. Now, let's get into this week's episode. We have a very special um, speaker today, Professor Shia Bosu. He's a professor in the Department of Geography at uh, University of Oregon. Welcome, Shia Thank you, Jane. <laughs> and congratulations on your new article, Tourism Feelings and the Consumption of Heritage. I was really impressed by your, your work, and I, I'm, I'm so glad you had time to um, have this interview. Thank you so much for your time. It's my pleasure. I so a question or problem was this paper or research setting out to understand? Okay, thank you. So um, a little background, I think this is, a, if I remember correctly, this is the fifth article on consumption of heritage I authored or co-authored. So I, which means I wrote a lot of articles about um, consumption of heritage from different perspectives. So all these articles, I try to uh, answer one simple question. I think many people are trying to answer, but I think it's also for me. So why do people want to visit heritage sites and then get immersed in heritage landscape? And we found a very common thing for everyone, you know, when they travel domestically, internationally, and the very important thing they want to go is they want to see the heritage sites in destinations. Of course, they may not just only for heritage, but I think heritage landscapes are a very important part of their experience. So basically why? And of course, I think we will find that there's no straightforward quotes and the fact relation because of this, they have to visit it, because of that, they have visited. And then uh, overall, I found uh, what I call the, the temporal pattern, the past, something it's lost which is very important part, I think, um, of heritage landscape. And the, the temporal pattern is a driving force that pushes tourists to visit various heritage sites. And then how we define this kind of the temporal pattern, you know, depends on individuals. Some people, they want to go, to, go back to their childhood. Some people, they want to see something related to nationalism. And some people really just want to stay in a heritage landscape to relax. They assume people in the past relax their life and they think in a landscape, a heritage landscape, they can do the same thing. So the space, the temporal pattern varies. And then my job is just to figure out what, why they want to, to experience this temporal pattern. So I guess I think I want to argue Maybe the more modernized our life is, the more we hope to go back to uh, to the past. And what kind of past? I think it depends on individuals. And then the more we want to embrace embrace a lost moment that we never have a chance to return. Pretty much like our childhood, or something. You know, I mean, um, the past is can never be returned. But we can we want to experience. And the heritage landscape, the tourism industry make it possible. 
So in this specific article, I think my authors and I, uh, we focus on the connection between the quantity of life inspiration. That's the key concept of use and the place. And in this context, we talk about heritage and landscape. So how this connection between the quantity of life inspiration and place is exemplified in the experiences of heritage. So this is basically what we want to address, you know, the connection and how this connection is exemplified in heritage and landscape. And overall, I think we want to build some dialogue between heritage studies and the emotional geographies. Uh, we haven't found many scholars focus on emotion uh, in tourism studies, but no, in heritage studies, Basically, in tourism, I think we talk about income, the emotion, embodiment, that's a lot. But for heritage, I think it's not very popular. So we want to establish this dialogue and then to think about the meaning of landscape as a way to reflect back on so-called emotional and geographies. Yeah. Thank you so much. Really fascinating. And can you uh, briefly describe the background and context of the work? I know you conducted study in Yunnan province, right? Yes. I, I have fascination about the province. So yeah, please give us some context. Okay, I think the broader context is uh, actually it's not about uh, Yunnan, it's about uh, China. Or specifically, or broadly, I think it's about the capitalism. And let's talk about China first. So I think the context is uh, China's speed of modernization in the past four decades. And uh, I think everyone pretty much to social science or some today they realize China is a very big power and China's economy is a, it's a phenomenon, it's a fabulous, it's a wonderful. But then we have to understand what is the social cost of this speeded modernization. And uh, of course, we can find the social benefits as well, but the social costs is one we as a social scientist, we want to figure out. So first of all, I think we can find the, the essence of modernization in China in the post-Mao period. It's about, you know, the development. Develop economic development, according to Deng Xiaoping, is a hard truth, which means no one can change it. We have to develop our economy at any cost. So in 1978, Deng Xiaoping launched the economic reform and called for modernization. And that's very important and changed the, the fate of um, Chinese peoples forever, for good and for bad, by the way. So I think, you know, at that time, uh, Deng Xiaoping say we want to develop our economy and we want to get rich first. And of course, one thing he didn't say is get rich faster, faster and faster. So in this case, the desire for wealthy and fame took a firm hold in China and push everyone to get rich first and faster, which means Time became a medium for profit, not for life. What does it mean? And uh, Deng Xiaoping make is very clear. Time is money. We have to use money. We have to use time to make money. And uh, time is money. By the way, is not the first raised by Deng Xiaoping, and which had been mentioned by Michel Foucault in Time and the Discipline. 
and it becomes very important part of capitalism. Ever since we think about the industrial revolution from England and the place you are right now, and then people have been subject to time discipline. And the key aspect of time discipline is efficiency. Time is for money. So then the point is, if time is for money, now what is the meaning of life? If the meaning of life is just to make a profit, to get rich first and faster, then we are just part of the machine. So that's why we can find, you know, for people, if they want to get rich first and faster, they have to use to measure their time in terms of economic productivity, run the meaning. And then, so consequently, you can find that this kind of the time discipline reinforce uh, spatial as well as temporal efficiency in work, recreation, and other parts of our daily life. We measure our time by hourly rate. And sometimes, even for me, and I always think, you know, if I spend hours doing this, my salary divided by my 40 hours per day, 40 hours per week, and then I think, okay, that's very expensive. I don't want to do this. So that's way I think we become this kind of so-called machinized or, you know, the materialized or just think about the profit return. And of course, you can find this kind of so-called time efficiency and the practices and cause a lot of trouble to individuals, not only to people in China, but also I think to all the world. So, but particularly I think it's very uh, interesting in the case of China, uh, scholars who study urban life in China discuss how residents feel very, very uncomfortable about the hectic pace of life and they express anxiety about the lack of control over their life, over their time. So there are some very popular terms in China called lie down, in Chinese called tanping, or give up, or learning those words to describe a younger generation of Chinese people, they don't want to get rich, or they don't want to get rich first, and they just want to enjoy their life, which represents a different life strategy in today's China. But some other people they choose, they still want to work very hard, but they want to enjoy the wealthy they connected through, for instance, tourism. So some places, particularly such as Lijian Old Town, the study case I do, they have very fantastic landscape and a very um, good environment, which means people, particularly domestic tourists, they feel very good, relaxed, and it's a way to, for them to escape a high speed. Chinese society. So the old time of Lijiang, I think this is not the first time people publish because myself also published at least four or five articles on Lijiang old town in tourism geographies. This is a elastic listed the cultural heritage side. And we are known for relaxation and slow down. So once people must handle uh, social ac acceleration, and also it's good for them to slow down a little bit. And they cannot slow down in their own home city and they have to travel to other places. Uh, so I think, you know, they want to seek inspiration from heritage because they want to 
mitigate those kind of anxiety related to a time discipline. So I think that's the context. And it's broad, I think, related to capitalism and specifically related to what I call the hyper-capitalism in China, and which drive many people lots, and they want to seek different lifestyle, even temporarily, so they travel to Nijiang and many other places as well. Really interesting. You know, I'm from originally from South Korea. I can like relate to this to South Korean context as well. You know, the hyper capitalism, hyper competitiveness. But young generation are slightly different. They wanna slow down and looking for a more quality of life compared to older generation. I guess really interesting. Can you also briefly describe the concept or theory that underpin your work? We uh, at the very beginning we don't want to have very theoretical debate. I think our idea is very simple. So we draw on Yifu Tuan's work uh, to propose a very simple concept: uh, heritage for inspiration. Um, our life, of course, everyone knows we need inspiration, need motivation, need satisfaction, and that's the one. otherwise we will become quite depressed. So inspiration. It's not necessarily just be part of the capitalism, uh, capitalist economy, but just to, as you mentioned, to improve or to fulfill the meaning of life, to improve the quality of life. So I think, uh, I mean, as we put one quote from Yifu Tuan, that's uh, Yifu told us, uh, called, when we now think about the quality of life and uh, our place, we tend to look backwards rather than forward for inspiration and of course. So that's why I think we we are inspired by this quote from Yifu Tuan that say people look backward for inspiration. The you know the look forward is very uncertain. It's full of speculation and of course I think I mean opportunities but it's uncertain. But the backward I think we all understand it happened. It gives us a sense of stability. So we look, and I think that's also the, the, the you know, when we look at the, the disciplinary history, then they can tell us about what is going to happen in the future. Because the stupid thing human being always conduct is repeat history. The same, I think, for our life, we look back uh, rather than forward for inspiration. So the idea of inspiration is very important to conceptualize heritage. It's not a commodity, a landscape for people to encounter, to enjoy, to, to experience. But more important, we emphasize heritage landscape is something for people to feel. Not only just to feel about the, the local place, it's also to feel about their personal life provide opportunity for them to reflect on their own personal journey, to look back, say, oh, they're doing pretty good, and they're doing very good, and why this happened, that anxiety, depression happened, because, you know, you have to give up something, and then just like what happened in Nijiang and many other heritage landscape, to learn from those older generations, to learn from, you know, the people who live here, they created this fantastic landscape. So I think that's what we're trying to we trying to do. Then we emphasize through this kind of inspiration, we emphasize 
heritage landscape are lived and experience and also a field. A field, I think that's what we want to emphasize. This kind of the feeling, it can be rooted or can be sensed. And rooted, I mean, if Tuan explained what does it mean by rooted? Rooted, which means it comes from your childhood, from your your parents, and from your homeland. I mean, you know, the 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 place we are born, we we spend our childhood and and, and that's our root, and that's called the rooted feeling. But sometimes, you know, for many people in a mobile world, most of them just simply leave away their childhood place. They find a different place. And people like you, JN, and myself, we just become the and the migrants and completely sometimes leave our homeland and home place. So we still can develop a sense uh, related to feeling. And uh, this is, that's a way, it's temporal, but it's still, I think, very meaningful for us. So that's what we are trying to, to, to do. And then through a feeling about the heritage and landscape, we want to emphasize the tourists are not a passive agent incurring the representation and the experience of heritage and landscape. They insert their story, their personal life, and their reflection into heritage and landscape and then to create their own representation rather than just enforced by someone else. So they are very active with the consumers and through the embodied actions and the practices and to become involved in the relations of heritage in the process of production and consumption. And I think more importantly, uh, cultivate their own meanings and feelings. Thank you so much. Really interesting to listen to you. Xiaobo, if you have one key takeaway for our listeners, what mm. would that be? I guess I think one uh, takeaway is we, it's hope, I think. We hope to oh. see more, more research on the temporal dimensions of our heritage tourism uh, in line with uh, emotion, affection, and uh, feelings. I think that's all just to make heritage landscape um, appealing and enjoyable. It's not just for people to gaze, but also for people to sense and to feel. The takeaway is uh, it's time for us as a tourism scholars to slow down and then to embrace some heritage landscape. Oh. That's really, yeah, that's really inspiring, actually. We should realize this, right? We're not robots or economic units. We're people, too. Often we forget. Yeah. <laughs> wow, well, thank you so much for a really interesting discussion. Um, do you have any comments before you go? Um, I think it's a great idea to have a podcast. And uh, that's, very, that's very fun and also very um, interesting and also appreciate the uh, the edit board and from tourism geographers to make it happen. Thanks a lot. Well, thank you so much. Thank you for joining us on today's episode of the Tourism Geographies podcast. We hope you enjoyed it and we look forward to seeing you again in the next episode. Should you have any ideas, questions, or comments that you'd like to feed through to the production team of the Tourism Geographies podcast, please feel free to make contact with one of us. 
Or perhaps you yourself might be engaging in tourism research that suits the aim of the podcast. If you do, please drop us a line and let us know. To find out more about tourism geographies, the journal, you can go to Google and type in tourism geographies and soon enough you'll be directed to the journal website. Until next time, take care, safe travels, and stay tuned.